Once again, good morning to you. This lesson this morning will be focused on the sin, the sin of alcohol, the sin of alcohol. Well, let's get our minds heading in that uh, direction. When we say the sin of alcohol, what we're saying is it is a sin according to God and His Word. It is a sin to uh, drink uh, intoxicated beverages uh, for the purpose of pleasure, some might drink to get a glow, to get a buzz, or get a high from it. So it's a sin for that purpose. It's also a sin to drink intoxicated beverage in order to dull your mind or to alter your mind. People do this in order to escape the problems of the world, not to deal with the problems. When those very problems ought to be dealt with with spiritual solutions from God and His Word. But instead of that, we will turn to uh, beverages that will intoxicate us or alter us, and we can sometimes think that we can escape the problems of the world, or for purely sociable pleasure. And so, uh, when we say it is a sin to drink alcohol, we're saying... When it is done for the pleasure of escaping the problems of the world or the pleasure to receive just simply a high or a buzz or the pleasure of just simply enjoying fellowship with others who are doing the same, then all this, God would say, is a sin. And we're going to show you the case uh, for this this morning. Uh, To get started, you might just think about uh, Proverbs 20 and verse 1 that says, Wine is a mocker and... um, Strong drink is a brawler, and everyone who is deceived by thereby is not, is not wise. Paul says in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, Be not drunk with wine wherein there is excess, but rather be filled with the Spirit. Here's something interesting you might think about. Leviticus 10, 8 through 11. Leviticus 10, 8 through 11, under the old law, charged Aaron and the priest... To stay away from strong drink lest they die. But he goes on to explain there, uh, Moses does in Leviticus uh, 10, 8 through 11, that uh, in so doing, staying away from strong drink, you are distinguishing, telling the difference between that which is holy and that which is common. You're telling the difference between... uh, uh, that which is clean and that which is not clean. And then this sets you in the position to be able to truly teach the statutes and the words of the Lord. This was a charge to the priests under the Mosaic law. Now we're under a better law today, the law of Jesus. And that law charges that we are all priests to God, First Peter 2, 5 through 9. And so we are to be even more pure than they were under the old law. And so... Just to get us started, we will mention these verses as we consider the sin of alcohol. Now, my first point is this. We must stay far away from it. My first point. My first point is we must stay far away from it. We must shun it. You see, when when God says something is a sin, He also says that we need to stay very, very far away. Away from it. He doesn't want us to tease it. He doesn't want us to play with it. He doesn't want us to flirt with it. He doesn't want us to see how close we can get. He doesn't want us to try to find some middle road of compromise. Rather, he wants us to stay far 
away from it. A couple of verses along this line, this line uh, Ephesians 5, 27. Ephesians 5, 27. Notice there that Jesus wants to pre- present the church as an institution that is holy, that is blameless, that is without spot, that is without blemish, and without wrinkle, and without any such thing. Romans 12 and verse 9 says, We are to abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. We shouldn't have a problem to know what it means to abhor something. So we abhor that which is evil and cleave that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 says, We are to abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. So if you want to think in terms of AA helping in regard to alcoholic beverage, think about those two words. Abhor that which is evil and abstain from every form of evil. Second Timothy chapter 2.22 says we are to flee, flee youthful lust. Now getting closer to the subject of alcohol here, there's a word used in the New Testament that's very important. And that's the word and really the command to be sober-minded, to be sober-minded, 1 Timothy 3.2, to be sober-minded, 1 Timothy 3.11, sober-minded, Titus 2 verse 1, sober-minded, 1 Peter 4 verse 7, sober-minded. The very basic idea of being sober is to be free from intoxicating stimulants, to be free from all intoxicants. To be free from anything that will intoxicate us. To be free from anything that will dull our mind or alter our mind or give us a glow or a buzz or help us to escape the problems of this world. To be free from that. That's the basic definition of uh, to be sober-minded. Think about this also in regard to 1 Timothy chapter 5, 22 and 23 where Paul says to Timothy on a very personal note to Timothy very personal note to Timothy. He says, I want you to not only drink water, but drink a little wine with your water for your stomach's sake and your very many other ailments that you have. This is very instructive for us because Paul had to tell Timothy to do this. Timothy was a sick little boy. He was a sick man sometimes. And yet he had restrained from taking anything that would be associated with an intoxicating beverage. And he had to be told by Paul to add a little wine with his water to help his often infirmities uh, that he had. I think that's very instructive. And it shows that it was not common for those who were seriously minded, for those who were truly dedicated to the cause of Jesus in those early days of the church. It shows that it was not common for them to be associated with wine that was an alcoholic Beverage, okay, it was a fermented beverage. Uh, even though he was sick, and even though he knew of this help from these wines, yet Timothy would refrain from doing this until Paul, by apostolic authority, said it would be okay to do this for this for this healing uh, purpose. And then think about a passage from Proverbs twenty three thirty one. As we focus on our first point, to stay away from it, to shun it, to not flirt with it. Think about Proverbs 23, 31, where the writer says, 
Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, and as it goes down smoothly, don't even look at it. Don't, I don't see how you can get any plainer. Don't even look at it. If I raised my voice, would you see that better? Don't even look at it. Does that help? Does that help? You can see it there. Proverbs 23 and verse number uh, 31. When we don't shun sin, we plan to fail. When we don't shun sin, it's a plan to fail. I'm reminded of a story of a man who had some property and he worked the property and he and his young son were going out one day to do several uh, duties. And as they had, were headed back to, um, as they were getting ready to go back to the back part of their property, uh, the father said to his son, Now, son, we're not, you're not going in swimming today. I don't want you going in swimming. He would sometimes swim in the pond in the back. And he said, we're not going to go in swimming today. And so they got divided and the father went one way and the son went the, another way doing different duties. And the father came back around and sure enough, there was the little boy, he's swimming in the pond. And his father uh, stopped and asked him about it. And the little boy said, well, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. And the father said, you didn't mean to. No, I, I didn't mean to. And he says, well, how is it you've got your swimming trunks with you? How, how is it you've got your bathing suit with you that you, you didn't mean to? And the boy said, oh, I brought those alone just in case I was tempted to go in. And so he had planned, he had planned uh, to fail. God wants us to stay a lot far away from sin. I have been by Logan's Restaurant and other places there in Decatur myself. If you look over there, along about 5.30 to 6.30, you have a trail of men and women who will come by after work to get them a drink or two. And they, they sometimes think they call that happy hour. And they'll come by and they'll get them a drink or two, and then they'll be on their way to go back home. But they come by to take the load off, you know, to take, to take the, um, I don't know what it is they're taking off, but they're taking off uh, something. And uh, I've heard men in that habit say, I need to just stop doing this. And they'll stop drinking for a while, but they'll keep going by the same place every day. They won't break the habit of where they're going. But they'll, they'll stop drinking for a while, but you know what happens after a while, they're back to their drinking. Because they plan to fail. Unless we shun sin, we'll always plan to fall to sin. And you've got to look in your own life and see what is it, who are the people or what are the situations that causes me to get weak or to go ahead and sin? We've got to shun those situations in order to stay true to God. And one of the things that's really ridiculous in regard to drinking is in public or as a public service announcement or it may even come from a teacher or someone but they will say, well, as long as you drink responsibly, you've got to just drink responsibly. Have you ever noticed the association with drinking in the Bible? That's interesting. If you look over to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, or if you look to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 10, or if you look over to Galatians 5, 19 to 21, and the works of the flesh, you will see that drinking is always associated with such things as murder, or uh, adultery, fornication, idolatry. What, let's just fill in the blank here. 
Instead of drink responsibly, um, let's, uh, can you commit adultery responsibly? Can you, can you fornicate responsibly? Can you murder responsibly? Can you commit idolatry? Can you be involved in false worship in a responsible way? You see how far our modern society has gotten away from the ancient scriptures that God delivered unto mankind uh, to over 2,000 years ago. And so first of all, our first point is we just simply must stay away from it. We must shun it. We can't flirt with it. We can't try to find some compromise with it whatsoever. Second point is to notice that alcohol is damaging to the body. Alcohol is damaging uh, to the body. Almost every medical authority, I have some I look at, you have some you look at, but almost every medical authority will readily admit that alcohol damages almost every organ in the body. It's unlimited in its impact upon the body. The brain, the heart, the lungs, the pancreas, the lining of the stomach, the, uh, the liver, e even the muscle weakness and the uh, motor operation of your body is affected uh, by alcohol. One expert I was reading said, just compare um, this to a sponge. When you take water and you, and you put it on a sponge, pour a little on a sponge, it will soak in, slowly soak in. He said, compare that to alcohol in your brain. The alcohol soaks into your brain. Okay. The first level that the alcohol comes to is the restraint, the restraint level of your brain. And that tells you to not do the things you know you shouldn't do. But when alcohol gets involved, it, it dulls that ability to restrain yourself, and you end up doing those things and saying those things that you usually would not do because alcohol is involved. The second level, as alcohol soaks into your brain, is the reaction level, which involves both the reacting by your voice and reacting by how you hear uh, things. And so you react differently uh, because alcohol is involved. And then the third level is the respiratory, the respiratory, because once alcohol gets so far in your brain, it begins to affect how you breathe and your heart rate and uh, things of that nature. Years ago, as most of you probably did from time to time, when I was younger in high school and so forth, I would go to Friday night football games. And, but I was mainly a basketball player. And we had some good coaches, some good coaches. And we had one assistant coach we particularly liked. But one Friday night, this assistant coach, he, me and some of the basketball guys, we were just standing around waiting for the game to start, and here comes Coach. Here comes Coach. And he comes to us. He's smiling really big. And as he gets closer, he smells not so good. And then he's very happy to see us, even though we just saw him about three hours ago in the gym. But he's very, very happy to see us. And he's speaking really loud, even though he's standing right next to us. He's speaking really loud. And of course... Even though we were very naive, we knew what was happening, and it was very sad. Between basketball practice and that ball game, he had been involved in alcohol just that little while. Just those few drinks that he had around supper time, 
had caused his behavior to change in a drastic way. You see, God wants the body respected. The body is special to God. When you look over to 1 Corinthians 6, 13 to 20, you notice four things about our bodies. First, 1 Corinthians 6, 13 to 20, talks about how the body is for the Lord. It's not for us. It's not for the world. The body is for the Lord. Our, secondly, our bodies are members of Christ. Thirdly, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And fourthly, our bodies were bought with a price, so therefore, and that price being the blood of Jesus, our bodies are bought with a price, so therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Romans 12 verse 1 says, we are to present, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable unto Him. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, we are to cleanse ourselves from every Every defilement of the flesh and spirit. Every defilement of the flesh and spirit, we are to cleanse ourselves from that in the sight of God. 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 4 and 5 says, We are to learn to control our bodies in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles do who do not know God. If we know God, then we are going to learn to control our bodies in all holiness and honor before Him. Our third point is to notice that alcohol damages our judgment. It makes us irresponsible. Alcohol damages our judgment. It can make us very irresponsible. As an illustration of this, you might look in your Bibles to Esther, the book of Esther chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. Esther chapter 1, 10 to 12. You might remember that um, the focus is on King Ahasuerus of the Assyrians. And he has just been involved in a feast. And they're on the seventh day of the feast. And about that seventh day, his heart was merry with wine. Okay. Uh, he, had been, uh, he had received his buzz and then some. He was on a high. He and other men there with him. Their hearts were merry with wine. Okay. So they got this bright idea that uh, the king said, let's bring in Vashti, the queen. Let's bring her in so that all of us can observe how beautiful she is because she's very fair to look upon. And so they sent their request to Vashti to come in. And God blessed Vashti because Vashti said no. One of the wisest words you'll ever learn in the English language is to be able to say no. She said no. She would not come in. But notice how that the alcohol had impaired the judgment of the king and his friends. Speaking of kings, if you look over to Proverbs 31 verses 4 and 5, there's a little letter to King Lemuel. Lemuel. A letter from his mother to him. Proverbs 31, 4, and 5. Very little personal note from a mother to a king. And she says in this letter to her son, the king, she said, stay away from strong drink, for strong drink is not for kings. And we simply make reference to this because if strong drink can impair a man's judgment in civil matters, 
in matters of the state, then how much more we need good judgment as we are dealing with spiritual matters as followers of God, as disciples of the Lord. We are dealing with much more important matters than simple national interest or state interest or, or civil interest. We are involved in eternal matters, and so therefore we need the best judgment of all. Now, there are legions of people, and you've heard the stories and you know them personally, of young people and older who after a night of whatever, drinking and whatever, they wake up the next day and they don't really know what happened the night before. They can't really specifically, they may have images and and visuals and know generally what happened, but later on they find out that they have been uh, very irresponsible in their behavior. Not a few young ladies have woken up pregnant because um, of their behavior, and and their behavior was mixed with uh, intoxicating beverages the night before. Going back to this coach that showed up to us on that Friday night football game. We loved that coach. He was very good to us. Otherwise, in matters of life, he worked at a local bank. He gave his free time uh, to the team, and he would travel with the team. The, the guys loved him, and he wanted the best for the boys on the team. There's no doubt about that. But look how that, those few drinks impaired his judgment. And brought him to bring to come to the guys on his team and really act a fool in a very public way. It had impaired his judgment, no doubt about it. I was reading from one of our great missionaries of today. He's still working. His name is Lois or Lewis, I call him Lewis Rushmore. Lewis Rushmore. He's from Mississippi. And he travels this world. Africa, India, Bangladesh. He come by Midway several years ago when we were still at the old building to give a report one time. His first wife, Bonnie, she died of cancer five or six years ago. But his first wife, Bonnie, tells how she grew up with alcohol. And she was able to find the gospel, find the truth, and obey, and serve with Lewis a good part of her life. But one time, she sat down and wrote a little article about how she had grown up in Pennsylvania with alcohol in her family. And how that every day, every day, every day, that when her dad got home from work, him and her mother would leave the children at home and go to a bar with other friends And the children would fend for themselves. Children would fend for themselves throughout the evening, supper time, bedtime, getting ready for school the next day, everything. They would leave the children by themselves. She tells how that when she was only eight years old, she and her brother, who was about ten years old, would have to walk to the store to buy their own toothbrush and their own soap and their own clothes. Their parents would give them money, but they were, it was up to them. And she, she tells in her article that on Fridays, that was payday. 
that most often the children were not to go to school. They, were, they went to the town. They went to town with their parents. And just as soon as the paycheck was sent to her dad, then they would give the paycheck to their daughter, Miss Rushmore here, and she would take other men's paychecks and go to the bank, walk to the bank and cash them, bring back the money to dad who's already sitting at the bar, and they would spend the rest of the evening at the bar and get home early on, on Saturday morning. This was a regular routine. She said in her article, not all her memories were bad. It was just alcohol. It was just alcohol, constant alcohol. So notice how those parents' judgment was so very impaired. Turn your Bibles with me to Proverbs 23. And just notice this passage really fast because it's so directly tied to our subject this morning. Look at Proverbs 23, 29. First of all, notice how disturbing alcohol can be to a person. Proverbs 23, 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to mixed wine, these are the ones that have these problems. So first of all, it's very disturbing. Secondly, notice how deceptive alcohol can be. Look at verses 31 and 32. Do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. How many people have been taken in by the smoothness of and the taste of alcohol only later to be bitten very badly by uh, these consequences. So it's very disturbing, very, very deceptive. Again, Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a marker. Okay? In a sense, wine is personified there. It's as if the wine is begging you to take a taste of it, and then it can't wait till later to be able to sit there and laugh at you because now you are hooked on it. And then... Proverbs 23, verse 33, Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, the one who lies down on top of the mast. Okay? So wine is very disgraceful. It's disturbing, it's deceptive, and it's disgraceful. It will have you doing things that you would never dream of doing. And you will bring shame, shame to your family. Shame uh, to your friends, shame to yourself, shame to your Lord. And then finally, it's very dominating because look at verse 35 of Proverbs 23. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Even after all that, after the redness of eyes, even after perverse things, saying perverse things, even after having sorrow and woe and wounds without cause, still, where's my next drink? It's very dominating. And so a first point is stay away. Second point is it damages the body. Third point is it will cause us to be irresponsible. It will impair our judgment. And finally, I want to notice a couple of quibbles with you. There's always those who want to defend something that's bad. A couple of quibbles. Some will look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and notice verse 8 where it says uh, not to be addicted to much wine. Not to be addicted to much wine. Well, it's not the case that just because you are warned 
about the excess of something that somehow that grants you permission to partake of the little of the something. Okay. Some people look at this and say, well, it's saying don't be addicted to much wine, so a little is okay. Where did you ever start reasoning that way? If I look to someone and say, I would never want you to be a drug addict. Okay. Does that mean I'm giving you permission or I'm saying in my statement that a few drugs, smoking pot from now, now and then would be okay? That's not. Warning about the excess of something doesn't grant permission to take something in a little portion, as you very well know. Uh, for someone to say, uh, I would never want someone to become a serial killer does not grant permission to kill two or three people. Okay, First Timothy chapter 3 and verse uh, 8, I think it is. Well, another little quibble that people bring is Jesus and wine. John chapter 2, Jesus turned uh, water to wine. That's a great, great, so it's, it's, it's um, unfortunate that some people only get involved in on the water to wine and the, the technicalities of that because it's a great miracle. Jesus told them concerning those six water pots, he said, now fill these to the brim. What's the importance of that? Well, no one could come along and add a little something to it to make it look like he turned water to wine instead of actually turning water to wine. It was full to the very top where you could not add any more so that when Jesus turned water to wine, he actually did it. It went from water to wine. Nothing added. It was a miracle of Jesus there in Cana of Galilee. But of course, there were six water pots. There were six water pots. Each of those water pots could, hit, could hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. And so together, what they had there was containers that could hold 120 to 180 gallons of something. Okay? Now, I cannot bring myself to say that my Jesus would come along and turn water into intoxicating beverages and to the tune of 120 to 180 gallons of it. Okay. Now, as you know in your studies, we've talked about this before uh, numerous times, the word wine can be used to refer to an intoxicating beverage. We used it a minute ago, Ephesians 5, verse 18, be not drunk with wine, obviously intoxicating beverage. But other places in the Bible where it just simply refers to juice of the grape, not fermented, juice of the grape. Isaiah 16, verse 10 would be one that talks about the, the wine in the presses, freshly squeezed uh, grape juice. So the context of where you're reading has to determine, determine what you're talking about. So we have a context here. We have containers that will hold 120 to 180 gallons of water. It is very offensive to me personally for once someone to say that my Lord would take his, his power and turn that into intoxicating beverage for a wedding feast. It didn't happen. And it's very, very offensive to Christians. It's offensive to Jesus himself. And if you've ever stood for that, you need to repent like quickly about it. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't do that at all. Remember that Jesus is the author, the ultimate author of everything we've been reading so far this morning. When he said, when we read, do not look at the wine when it is red, that's Jesus saying that to us. Okay? When Jesus said, be not drunk with wine, that's, when Paul said that, that's, ultimately that's Jesus behind those statements. Every warning, there's, there's thousands of them from Genesis to Revelation, 
thousands of warnings about the intoxicating, the dangers of wine. Jesus is behind every one of those statements. Then you can't come along and say, well, the author of all that is going to say it's okay to turn water into intoxicating beverage and at the tune especially of 180 gallons. Okay, So that's that. Another quibble that's sometimes used is, well, God made this. This comes from nature. It comes from grapes. And so it can't be wrong. If God created it, it can't be wrong. And so we often do as a society, we go that route. And this is, this is where you're going now. You want to blame God. Just like Adam said, he said, the woman you gave me, she gave to me and, and I did eat. Okay, so we'll get back to blaming God. God created it. Therefore, uh, it's okay with him if we drink it. He endorses it then. Well, of course, that's not right. Here's the principle that we've got to remember. Everything that God gives us is good as long as it's used for its intended purpose. Everything God gives us is good as long as it's intended for its purpose God gave it to be used for. Okay. It is mankind that corrupts the world. It's mankind that corrupts the gifts of God. You yourself, you yourself, if you want to read about you, if I want to read about me, I can turn over to Isaiah 43 and verse 7 and see we're created for the glory of God. We're created for the glory of God. We're created in order to bring glory to God. That's our purpose for being here. But a lot of people ignore that. They don't even think about that. Jesus picks up on this. In Matthew chapter 5, when he said, you are the salt of the earth. But then what did he say? What happens when the salt has lost its savor? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. You see, God created us for good purposes. But sometimes we take that gift and we give it to Satan. From thenceforth, we are good for nothing. And so, in our brief time together, we wanted to see that we are to stay away from the sin of alcohol. Shun it. Stay away, away from it. Notice its impact and damage to the body, the brain. And notice also how that it will impair our judgment, no, no doubt about it. There's no argument that can be made to justify the, even the moderate or social drinking of these beverages. God wants us to stay way away from them. Now, I'm excited about our invitation song. What's the number again, Jim? Say it loud. 285. The rock that is higher than I. Now... This comes from Psalm number 61. If you want to mark it in your Bible. Psalm number 61. Notice in your Bible. Psalm 61. Verses 1 and 2. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock. That is higher than I. Higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. You see, God expects more of us 
because he is higher than anyone. And instead of doing like the world, we want to go to the rock. We want to go to God who is higher. He's higher than all of what the world is. And if we will go to him and stay with him, then we will find a joy that the world probably won't understand, but a joy that is yours and can be yours for all eternity. It may be that you're ready to return home to God and stay with Him, enjoy the pleasures forevermore that is promised with God. It might be that you're ready to begin your journey. Jesus is very straightforward and very simple. He says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved from their sins. But it begins with belief, and then we're baptized for the remission of our sins. If we can assist you with any spiritual need, please let us do so right now, Brother James, as we stand and sing this great song.